0: In this edition of Talkin' Isles, a little bit of a different start to the podcast
1: as we had some late-breaking news involving our guest, the great Stan Fischler. That's right, Greg. After we had previously recorded the podcast, Stan was named to the U.S. Hockey Hall of Fame's induction class for 2021. Paul Holmgren and Peter McNabb were also named to the 2021 class. It is a well-deserved honor for Stan, one that is probably long overdue given how much he's given to the game. The official induction will come at a later date, and Stan's speech will surely be one to watch, as he's always colorful and entertaining. But congratulations again to Stan on being named to the U.S. Hockey Hall of Fame's Class of 2021. It is a tremendous honor.
2: I have one word to say right off the bat. I am grateful, very grateful for the honor. Uh, I have three priorities in life. My uh, first priority, by far, is family, followed by health and hockey. Hockey's been part of my life since uh, my father took me to a game in 1939, and I never stopped going to hockey games. The trick is it's never been work. It's always been fun. To say that I've been working is just a joke. This is my, my, my life's laugh is just doing hockey every single day.
0: We now return to our regularly scheduled podcast. A storied franchise. And the New York Islanders have won their fourth straight Stanley Cup. All-time NHL greats. They pop that under the line. Goes to the left side, shoots
1: and scores! He is all alone as the leading NHL goal-scoring defenseman. Tonelli to Nyster, he scores! Bob
0: Nyster scores the goal. The Islanders win the Stanley Cup. This is Talking Isles with Greg Bicker and Corey Wright. Welcome in to another edition of Talkin' Isles, the New York Islanders official interview-based podcast. I'm Greg Picker, radio color commentator for the New York Islanders, and as always,
1: joined alongside by senior writer for NewYorkIslanders.com, Corey Wright. Greg, this week we are joined by a hockey legend. He is both a, a legend of the written word, he is a legendary broadcaster. We're with the one and only Stan Fischler. Stan has been covering hockey for almost 70 years now. And even though
0: he retired from the television broadcast side of things a few years back, he is still writing and following the sport from where he lives now in Israel. But anything media-wise in the sport of hockey, Stan has done it. Big bulk of his career has been involved with the New York Islanders, a lot of work with the New Jersey Devils, even with the New York Rangers as well. And we actually got into some World Hockey Association talk with Stan and some of the jobs that he had in the 70s. So it was a lot of fun getting to chat with the Maven. And now
1: we will take it away with Stan Fischler. We are now joined by legendary writer, broadcaster, hockey historian, the weekly contributor to NewYorkIslanders.com with Maven's Memories. We are with the hockey maven himself, Stan Fischler. Stan, how are you doing today?
2: Well, with you guys, I couldn't be happier. It's, uh, it's like old home week or new home week or reunion. And I'm uh, as my father would say, I'm tickled pink.
1: Well, you've been in Islander fans' living rooms on TV. You've been in everybody's newspapers. You've just been in everyone's bookshelves. But I'm curious, and I think we're both curious, you know, take us back to when you first got that media bug and, you know, you first, you know, what was your origin into kind of getting into hockey writing?
2: Well, actually finishing a book about my growing up in Brooklyn. It's called Tales of Brooklyn. And I have a chapter how Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs are responsible for my getting into hockey. It was 1939, and the big movie for kids, like Star Wars became the big movie for kids in recent memory, uh, was Snow White. And my father promised to take me to see Snow White on a Sunday afternoon, and we went down uh, into the subway. It was playing at the Globe Theater in Times Square. And when we got out at 50th and 8th, it was a torrential downpour. We didn't have an an umbrella. And my father looked up and what was there in front of us, but uh, this marquee, the old Madison Square Garden, was on 8th Avenue between 49th and 50th. And my father says, look, uh, Stanley, I'm not going to take you to Snow White today. I'm going to take you to a hockey game. Well, I started bawling my head off. This was, this was ridiculous. How can I, he promised me, uh, we're not going. The theater's five, five blocks away, we'll get soaked. And he took me into the garden and I was so furious with him that the first, that was the, the time when they had double headers on Sunday afternoons, uh, it was the Eastern League. And I saw that my father was rooting for the Rovers, the home team, so I had to get even with him. So I rooted for the visiting team, Washington. And Washington won, my father lost, and I felt great. the next day, I go to PS54, my teacher, Mrs. Gould, says we're going to do show and tell. She calls on me, and I did a show and tell of the hockey goalie because I thought it was very fascinating watching a goalie. No masks in those days. And so I got an A. So now I'm pretty good with hockey. I got an A for me from Mrs. Gould. My father took me to see Snow White the following Saturday and Sunday. I said, Dad, take me to another hockey game, and I never stopped going. And what happened was that as I would go to the games, I instinctively began writing notes. On, and in those days, you could there was a lot of white space in the program, and you could write things. So I used to do a little synopsis of the games, and if my team lost, I did excellent analysis. I blamed the referee. <laughs> nothing, nothing has changed, right? And, uh, you know, and I, I was going to games now every Sunday with my dad. And uh, I wasn't allowed to go to NHL games, Ranger games, because they started late. They started at 8.30. So I didn't see my first NHL game until 1942, when I was 10. Rangers played the Blackhawks and uh, believe it or not by that time I was a Maple Leaf fan. You know I was always doing something different than the usual kid and I, uh, I was a Leaf fan and in 46-47 uh, I was able to uh, go to all the games and by that time I had been keeping a scrapbook of everything and I began subscribing to the Toronto Globe and Mail And I was getting into just writing about hockey for the—I was a total nut, total nut. I go to the doubleheader on Sunday afternoon, and then I go to the Ranger game Sunday night, because all you had to do was grab, you know, a hot dog or something, and then go right back into the garden. And uh, by the time I got into college, Brooklyn College, I was determined to get into hockey— and at Brooklyn College, I got lucky, but I was also pushy. I, uh, I began getting friendly with the uh, guys who were running the Eastern League, which was the Rovers, and uh, Tommy Lockhart was the boss. And I went up to him, I'm, this must have been about 52 or so, and I suggested that I would write every Sunday a review of the league, of the Eastern League. Uh, had about seven teams and they could run it and he, he went for the idea so I had entree at the garden so I got to know a lot of people around the garden and by the time I got out of Brooklyn College I was offered a job to work for the Rangers to get paid real money in publicity and it was the greatest up until that time in my life it was the greatest thing that happened I'm now in hockey getting paid for it And uh, that's my story.
0: Now, Stan, let's fast forward ahead to 1971. The World Hockey Association is forming, and they actually want to put a team in the newly opening Nassau Veterans Memorial Coliseum. But Nassau County is not looking at the WHA and thinking it's a major league sport. They're saying, we want the National Hockey League, the real top level. So what was your reaction when you saw this ongoing and the fact that the NHL did listen to Nassau County after the lobbying and put a team at Nassau Veterans Memorial Coliseum in Uniondale to start up play in 1972?
2: Well, it was a a stunning moment because I was watching the evolution of the NHL. I was startled as many were when the nhl went from 6 to 12 teams in 67 that was a monumental event and i was covering hockey professionally for a long time uh, i started working for uh, the journal american newspaper the year after i left the rangers which was 55 so this was this, this was more than a decade of covering hockey this was monumental and of course the decision to go into Nassau was equally so, because it was Nassau plus the Atlanta Flames in Georgia. And these were all uh, historic occasions in hockey. Who knew what would be? Who you know, Who knew the team would be fortunate enough to get a Bill Torrey to, you know, to, to start with? It was all, uh, all exciting, unfolding history.
1: Well, Stan, you started your career as a writer, then wound up making the transition into broadcasting. Uh, I believe you signed on with the Islanders with Sports Channel in 1975. But I am curious, as a writer, did you enjoy that side of it more? Did you prefer the broadcasting or did you look at them as separate but equally fun endeavors?
2: Well, it's a funny, it's a very funny story and a wonderful question. I started in broadcasting hockey for the World Hockey. World Hockey Association, I was asked to do the New England Whalers games. This was 73, 74 season. And I I was asked by a guy, actually, he was sort of like my agent without being an agent. He was a broadcaster in Boston named Eddie Andelman. He says, they'd like you to do the Whaler games on television. I said, forget about it. I'm a writer. I don't want to have any part of that television. Television is not for me. Forget about it. He said, listen, you're going to make good money out of it. I said, what? what?" He says, you make good money. Think about it. And he told me what the amount was. And I said, well, they're not going to pay me to do that. So, uh, but you can go ask them. And the next day he calls me back and he says, I got you the deal. And this is the amount of money, which was for the time, it was tremendous. And uh, so I, you know, I fell into television against my will, so to speak. And uh, it, was, it was a very interesting year because they hired my wife, Shirley, to work the games also. So we were the first husband and wife team to work hockey television. And then, so what happened was, Shirley dropped out the second year. She opened up a bookstore. And, and what, what happened was, I was working a game in Toronto. And I got a call from Marty Glickman, who was like the king of New York broadcasting. And Marty said, how would you like to do Islander games? I didn't know what the hell he was talking about because there was no such thing as an Islander broadcaster at the time. And he said, "Uh, this guy, Chuck Dolan, who I'd never heard of, has this thing. They want you to give it a shot. So I said, well, I forgot, crying out loud. Now I'm going to go from the WHA to the NHL. Who wouldn't want that? And we did the first televised game it was islanders in atlanta it was a week before the end of the season 74 75 and that was a tie game and that tie put the islanders into the playoffs for the first time so now we're in the playoffs and then we have the first series with the rangers which was everybody thought the Rangers were going to win that series two straight and we you know islanders Take them in game one. They lose the game two. They win the third game at the Garden. It was unbelievable. And then it comes to the Pittsburgh series. And then you know the whole story. Down three games, they win four in a row. Then it's the Philadelphia series. And by that time, they were the, you know, the big story, big sports story in New York, the Islanders. And Chuck Dolan said, next season, we're going to do all the games and all the games. And I got the gig uh, with Spencer Ross, who was my play-by-play guy. And that's how it all started. It was, uh, you know, when you asked me the question, I didn't want to go into television. I told Eddie Edelman, that's, yeah, I'm a writer. He says, try it. So there you go. Stan, you
0: mentioned your wife, Shirley, and, and in the early 70s, she was the first woman allowed in the press box at Madison Square Garden. Can you just describe how much of a trailblazer she
2: really was for women who are still working in sports media today? Well, Shirley was writing already for a number of years. I've always said she was a better writer than me, and she wrote uh, books on her own, and she was behind the first Macmillan Encyclopedia, which was the first and best of its kind for hockey. I still use it all the time. The thing is, the men didn't want her into the press box. She tried the proper way she applied, and they found ways of keeping her out, and she wasn't going to give up, and I told her, look... This is such a thing now in New York City called the Human Rights Commission. There was a woman named Eleanor Holmes Norton. Try it, see what happens. And she got in touch with them and they said they will take the case. What had happened was she was assigned by a Canadian paper to cover the Rangers' Toronto playoff, 71. And she went up to the press box with Jim Boughton, who was then a Channel 7, former Yankee pitcher, who was a friend of ours. He was right behind her. So when she only got to the entrance to the press box, there was a security guard there, and he said, you can't come in. She said, why? Because no women were allowed. And in fact, in those days, on the press ticket, you got a ticket for every game if you are in the press, and on the ticket were the exact words, ladies not permitted in the press box. It was in English, you see. So they wouldn't let her in, so she had to sit in some corner of the garden with a typewriter on her lap her uh, notes under her uh, backside. So the Human Rights Commission uh, took the case. Amo Francis was the GM. John Halligan was the range of publicist. And she won the case. She won the case. And she became uh, the trailblazer. But Shirley, I, I don't know whether you'd call it a problem or not, but Shirley was very modest about all her accomplishments. And she didn't want to exploit the accomplishment. She just wanted to, you know, open up the gates for the women, and that, and that's it. And uh, But uh, she became the trailblazer. I'm, I keep telling people that she should be put in halls of fame for what she had done for the uh, women in hockey. And, you know, she continued to do uh, uh, books with me. And as I said, she was... Uh, and she had great insights. She had great insights. We did a book called Up From the Minor Leagues of Hockey, together. And at that time, were, you know, there were no Islanders, so our team was the Rangers. And I remember we interviewed Johnny Ferguson, who was a bad guy uh, for the uh, Canadians. We interviewed him in Philly and we met at the dinner table and I introduced her to Fergie, who was a friend of mine. And she says, before we start talking, Mr. Ferguson, I must tell you that I hate you. Because <laughs> Fergie used to beat the crap out of the Rangers all the time. But we became good friends. And uh, she was uh, tremendous. And, of course, uh, uh, when the Islanders came, she was huge, huge Islander fans, as uh, you know, our sons, uh, Simon and Ben. And now my grandchildren here uh, intense. In fact, my granddaughter and grandson are right here with me. They love hockey. So that's how it happened. That's what the story was with Shirley. And uh, she she was the first.
1: Well, Stan, it's a, a great story. And you wrote a very lovely tribute and kind of told that story on uh, a Maven's Memories column. So I advise everybody to go out and read it if they haven't already. You know, kind of looking at some of those early Islander teams, especially in the seventies and the eighties and granted hockey's a game with plenty of characters. And, you know, I, I think back to some of the stories that you've kind of, whether you've told us or you've written about, and just some of the more interesting experiences you had with some of those seventies and eighties Islanders. Uh, the one that stands out to me is the time that you thought that Clark Gillies was going to push you into a pool when you were going to interview him. So I'm curious if you can both tell that story. And then if you have any other really kind of funny offbeat interactions with some of those seventies and 1980s Islanders for us.
2: I got, I got a ton of them. Gillies of course, was one of my all time favorite guys as a person, as a player, and uh, one summer we were doing features on what guys were looking ahead to, and went over to Gilly's place uh, with my crew, and I was wearing a very uh, expensive uh, suit, tie, and we did the interview at the edge of his swimming pool, because it was a good locale in terms of uh, what what the producer wanted, and when we got finished with the interview, in my mind was, there's no way I can avoid being pushed <laughs> into the pool. And knowing Gillies, who was a great practical joker, he was thinking the same thing. And later on, he told me that it was even money that he was gonna do it, and then he looked at my suit and he said, I bet better that." So uh, that was one. A great, one of my all-time favorite stories was when we beat Pittsburgh in the uh, 93 series at game seven. And uh, (laughs) there's all kinds of stuff. I tell you quickly, I was sitting, and it was an unbelievable game because the Islanders were up by two. It looked like uh, there was about five minutes to go. And I'm sitting upstairs and I get a call from my producer, come on downstairs to the studio because we got to get ready for the post game show. And I was very superstitious. I didn't want to leave where the heck I was. I, you know, we got a two-goal lead. If I leave, it could, could cost us uh, uh, the game. So I stayed there. And he comes back and now, a minute late. He said, what the heck's going on? Get down there now. So I go downstairs. And just as I leave, Francis scores. So now it's a one-goal lead. And, and it's my fault because I didn't stay where I was. So now I go down and I go past this little room where Patrick Flatley was watching the game on a monitor. He was injured. And as I walk by, Tocket scores. So now it's tied and I'm blowing the game for them. And uh, this is ridiculous. Anyhow, so I finally get to the studio and we go into overtime. And of course, David Valek scores the winning goal. That took me <laughs> off the hook, right? So now. I have to do the post-game, and this was at the Old Igloo, and the entrance to the Islanders dressing room was very, very it was very lit, small corridor, and a man with the camera, and Ginger Killian was the uh, presser, PR for the Islanders at that time, and she didn't, know nobody could get in, she was guarding the door, and all of a sudden, who, well, of course, the winning goal was scored by David Volek, but the guy who set it up was Ray Ferraro with this phenomenal pass who should suddenly open the door is Ray Ferraro. And I think he was looking for a relative or something. And as soon as he opened the door, I happened to be in the perfect position. We had the camera. I got the mic right in front and I started the interview. And that was the best interview I ever did in my whole life. In a few words, this is one of the great upsets in sports history. How does it feel to be a part of it? feels great. As Muhammad Ali said when he knocked out Sonny Liston, we shook up the world while well, we shook up the
0: hockey world. And everybody's going to be taking a look and hopefully we can keep it going because I'm telling you, Stan, this, this is the best feeling in hockey I've ever had.
2: That and Patty LaFontaine scoring the winner, you know, the Easter epic. But uh, uh, the Ferraro thing was, it was an exclusive. Uh, we were in a position where nobody else could, you know, butt in. And, of course, uh, I think you guys have it somewhere in the archives. So that, that game was phenomenal. I, I was envisioning the headline as I walked downstairs before, you know, when I was ordered down, Fish Courts Islanders Playoff Victory.
0: Now, Stan, we have to ask just other colorful characters over the years with the Islanders that really stand out above the rest that you have been able to interview and, and really get to know away from the ice as well.
2: Darius Kasperidis, right up at the top. First of all, he was a fantastic body checker. And what always annoyed me is that the uh, Rangers guy, then John Davidson, used to accuse him of uh, an illegal check. Darius was one of the greatest body checkers of any era, plus he had that great Way of antagonizing uh, the opposition. He would laugh in the face of Mario Lemieux. He had no regard for superstars in the best way. He would just drive drive them nuts. And of course, you had to uh, you had to love everything about him. He was the you know he was the spirit of the of the team at that time. And you know I I could pick a lot of classy guys. Uh, certainly bossy. Bassi I remember. My, I was at the uh, the Vancouver game, the, the start of the final in '82, and Vancouver was a scary team. And Vancouver was actually dominating that first game. It was very worrisome. And then, of course, uh, Bossy uh, saved the day with that uh, interception of the Harosnep's pass. Bossy, to me was uh, a phenomenon. You know, when Bossy came to the team, everybody thought that he was French. And I was asked by one of the Canadian networks if I do an, a taped interview him uh, a couple of hours before the game, and we got out at center Rice, because I hardly knew him at that time, and uh, I said, uh, uh, how's your English? <laughs> and he says, what are you talking about? I'm not a French Canadian. But I was very tight with Danny Potvin. I still am. I did Danny Potvin's book, uh, Power on Ice, uh, uh, definitely one of my favorite people and a marvelous, marvelous captain. And Chico Resch, Chico to me was uh, part of the uh, getting the fans into the, you know, getting the the image of the team. The whole thing about is hockey was because of the great people and Chico was there. Uh, you know, early on, and of course, uh, Billy Smith. Billy Smith, unbelievable. Billy Smith was the most honest, honest interview I've ever uh, had in any sport. And of course, remember when he won the con Smythe, and uh, he gave uh, gave it to all the Canadian writers and the Canadian audience. I think uh, uh, John Ziegler, who was there. Presenting him with the Smythe got a case of lockjaw when uh, Billy started talking. Uh, so these were these were some of the, but, you know, I can go on and on. When uh, my son Simon, who I'm with here, was suffering from heart failure and needed a heart transplant, we were in Columbia Presbyterian Hospital not knowing when a new heart would come, and uh, Mick fakota and Derek King came to visit, and it was a very, and, uh, you know, Giving, lifting his spirits. Mick brought a uh, some sort of electronic game that they were played. It was just wonderful stuff. And of course, he got a new heart uh, early in August. That was ninety three, and he's still rooting for the Islanders. And you know, rooting for the Islanders here in Israel is not easy because the games normally a night game in Nassau would be uh, like a seven o'clock game is a two a.m. game here. But the kids stay up and they watch it. That's real devotion. Real, my my uh, my granddaughter here, Abigail, who's sitting on the couch. She's she's she is as intense. She's twelve. Plays defense. They're both. The two of the kids are going to be going to Switzerland in a short time to uh, get on, higher on the uh, hockey ladder. Her guy is Marty Barzell, and Marty Bazel uh, wished her. Uh, was it happy birthday something like that manny barzel is her guy and so the tradition continues continues
1: stan we love to hear that and obviously the team appreciates the support from isles nation all around the globe and the fans in israel that is dedication being up for those 2 a.m starts but when you were talking about characters there was one name that uh, you left off and i'm sure there's obviously plenty of names but I think a lot of recent fans remember your interviews and your time with Evgeny Nabokov, and I believe he is one of your favorite interviews.
2: Nabby was one of a kind. Well, first of all, you have to know that I used to play in a dance band and I grew up with the big band era and um, a musicologist. You can name anything and a, and a song would come to mind and, and it happens, you know, every single day, mention something. So when I, you know, when I got a feeling that, uh, you know, some guys get it and some guys don't get it. And I sensed that this guy got it. So, so what happened was after I got used to Nabby, you know, we got a few, we got to like each other cause he was a, you know, a wonderful guy after a certain game. So Nabby won the game. I started the interview. I said, you know what song this uh, win reminds me of? He said, no, I said, the song is, this will be my shining hour. And he looked at me and I said, you see, you shine tonight, this was your hour. What do you think of that? And then of course, since he got, got it, he ran with it. And every game after that, after every single interview, I had a song for him. What is it? You'd be so nice to come home too. You know why? Well, you came home and you got a shutout. Isn't yeah. that a good tune? Yeah, it is. It is and it's, you know, special after the game we had uh, before in here. So, it's nice to come back and win uh, for the for our fans. And of course, this became like a routine like we were bringing back Vaudeville and every time I ha- you know, I didn't do a nabby every single game obviously, but when I was going to do nabby, there would be a crowd around us. It was like we were putting on a show. And since he had the knack, that was the thing. He had the knack he was like a showbiz character in addition to being a go. But this was working with Nabby was as much fun as I ever had anywhere. It was just you know because he was we we were uh, we were kindred spirits. We really were.
0: Stan, we have to ask about your impressions of UBS Arena, the beautiful new venue the Islanders will be opening up in November.
2: I I did a tour. I did a tour. I had an idea that I would be pleased. I had no idea how extraordinarily thrilled I was with what I saw. We had a wonderful guide, just a fantastic guide, and uh, there were about uh, five of us or six of us who went along. And every nook and cranny, every niche, and everything about it, you know, from the design of the uh, Islanders' dressing room, and how Lula Morello had uh, came up, came up with this idea to make egg shapes so that every player sees each other to the ceiling. The ceiling is as low as a ceiling could be to replicate the sounds of the Colosseum. Now, how great is that? The wonderful thing about the the old barn was that it was one of the great places to watch a game because there were no obstructed views in the place. And this, of course, is doing the same thing. I'm a railroad buff, and uh, they showed us where the, uh, the Long Island Railroad station is going to be. You know, I mean, it was it was a total plus 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 in every way. In every in every way, it was a, it was a wonderful experience. I've written it already. This is going to be the best arena in the world when it opens. Not just the best arena in the NHL, be the best arena in the world because they didn't miss a trick. That's the thing. They they. They spent a lot of times the uh, ownership and uh, the uh, designers checking out the best of every other best rink and made it better than that. So uh, I don't have I've run out of great adjectives to uh, describe the greatness of it.
1: Well, Stan, we certainly hope that we're able to see you there when the building opens this fall. We have just barely scratched the surface, so we're definitely going to have to have you on the pod again because, with such a legendary career, the like I said, we are only just getting started here. So, we just want to thank you for joining us today on Talk and Isles, and you know, just want to wish you all the best over in Israel, and definitely keep staying up late for those games uh, this upcoming season.
2: You forgot something. What you forgot to ask me? What song this reminds me of?
1: What song does this remind you of?
2: Thanks for the memory. <laughs>
1: Thank you, Stan. All Thanks, the best Stan. to you and your family.
2: Appreciate it.
1: Well, Greg, I thought that was a really fun chat with Stan. Obviously, you and I have had a lot of time to chat with him at the rink over the years. And, you know, one of the things that really stuck out to me, too, about him is just what a good example he really was for a lot of younger reporters. And, you know, this may be a little inside baseball for, I guess, the podcast. But, you know, I, I think back to when I was first starting out around the team, I would see the way that Stan would go around the locker room in a postgame and as you know sometimes after a big game or if everyone's going to one player the cameras can kind of create a little bit of a barrier or a semicircle and most of the time people are just sticking their mics in or kind of elbowing each other to get out of the way and one of the things that always stuck out to me about Stan was even at you know 80 years old he would sometimes drop down to his knees just to kind of give the camera guys a little bit more space and if a player was sitting down they'd be a bit more at eye level and it's just one of those little things where it's like all right if this guy who has had certainly a hall of fame worthy career as 80 years old and he's willing to kind of you know get down on his knees to give the camera guys a little bit more space and have a little more face time with the player then there's no reason that you know someone my age can't do it or you know my status can't do it so I always really appreciated that I thought it was really cool too how a lot of his questions would just be really simple a lot of times he'd go into a post-game press conference and he'd see stan with you know one leg up on a chair or the stage and the mic comes to him and he just says what happened and kind of lets the guys just you know go through and say what they want to say or the coach to give his post-game thought so you know some examples there for a young reporter a young writer young broadcaster in the room and even even just watching him on tv you know that's probably the way that i most people got to know him first just being in their living rooms especially if you're our age and his enthusiasm like he's a guy that really loved being on tv you can tell that you know when you see him riding a carousel in brooklyn to do a little piece on the history of brooklyn hockey or just in general like when you do it for as long as he has to still have that kind of enthusiasm for the game and for broadcasting and for writing he still is a very prolific writer with his uh, newsletter that goes out his column on our site. So just a guy that absolutely loved what he did, still loves what he's doing. I think that kind of stuff really comes across in both his writing and his broadcasting.
0: He certainly had a level of respect that not many in really all of sports media have. I mean, not everybody can just say what happened and get a full two three minute answer from a subject just after a big game especially if it was after a loss but that was often a question after a loss and after any game almost everybody in the locker room followed where Stan was because they knew that he would be getting maybe the most out of a player post game big loss or big wins so probably at times 90 percent of the media would just be wherever Stan was because again he knew how to get the most out of the interview subjects and you know what interview subjects respected him more than almost anybody else really that they came across because he really got it and the longevity just proves it itself well thank you again for joining us on another edition of talk at Isles. please make sure to subscribe to the show on apple Podcasts, spotify or wherever you might listen you can follow us on twitter i am at greg picker here and i am at rightsway you can follow all the latest info about the team on Twitter at NY Islanders and stay up to date on UBS Arena at UBSArena.com. A big thank you to our producer, Rachel Lusher and to WRAQ at Hofstra University. And we'll see you next time on Talking Isles.